Hello, welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, the podcast where culture matters and selling out doesn't. This is episode number 20, the one where Paul quits his job. And I am Paul, full name, Paul Reesmandel, one half of your sellout team. And uh, Jenny Bendevento will join me, well, right after I quit doing this voiceover intro. You ready? I'm ready. All right. It's your We're... show, man. It is literally your show. Oh, I don't know. It's my uh, <laughs> it's my office. How's well, your today it's literally your show. Oh, uh, well, because Especially. this is... Quit number two. Quit number two. And and if I don't know if people could read between the lines of... That of, you were going to quit? That I was going to quit. I, I feel it was fairly obvious. Yeah, well, for people who do listen or pay attention or read between the lines, whatever. It's like a decoder ring. Like some, some you know, you watch Twin Peaks enough, you, you catch things. You listen yeah. to the show enough, you knew you were going to quit. Yeah. So uh, for those uh, who haven't yet figured it out... Um, I have uh, I have also become fun employed uh, like Jenny, uh, and interestingly, <coughs> I don't think either of us were inspired by the other. No, I, I kind of made my decision almost a year prior and was sitting things down, and then sort of I don't even know if I'd mentioned it to you, and then you were like, "I I'm going to quit," and you would like a little less. Uh, I would love a little less headphone because I'm dying. Sorry. So no, it's something I probably should have told you before we started. There we you go. Know, How's talking. that? That's great. Okay, yeah, it's good. I probably like it louder, and I suspect that those are more sensitive headphones because we're they running are. off of the same. <laughs> they cry at night. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're no, Morrissey I, headphones. It's, it's true. It does seem like almost everyone in our in our friend group is unemployed or self-employed at this point. Well, there is. Yeah, they're right because we have friends in Virginia. One of whom isn't really self-employed, but she's working for a very small firm. And unemployed yeah. herself, not because she had a job on the horizon, but no, because she, she, hated was, her job. she hated her job. Yeah. So it seems like it's just the trend that everyone we know is is separate from one another, quitting their job and becoming unemployed. Yeah. And uh, and, and, and becoming self-employed. I mean, yes. I, I mean, I know that you're taking some time I'm off. I'm just unemployed. And uh, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm not unemployed because I've been sort of self-employed on the side uh, for years now. Uh, I write freelance, um, most recently for uh, streamingmedia.com in their magazine and Radio World, which is uh, the Journal of Radio Broadcasting in the U.S. Why would you have to explain Radio World to anyone? It sounds I don't know. Yeah, so, I guess it sounds like everyone reads that. Everyone, yes, everyone, <laughs> everyone reads Radio World. So you're somewhat employed. I am somewhat employed. And then I have this other website called radiosurvivor.com, which incidentally is about radio. <laughs> Um, but we write about it. I write it with two other folks who were both based in San Francisco and who lobbied hard for me to move to San Francisco. Um, and I said, if you could Boo. get me a rental for a thousand dollars a month, <laughs> and they could not. Um, but uh, we write about radio. We write about it. I mean, with a, with a much more with a very critical eye, and from the standpoint that we think audio media is radio. Like there's not that, that to a listener, the difference between streaming or Pandora or Sirius XM and radio or podcasting is thin and that people are experiencing the same way. We need to treat them all as radio. And that doesn't mean that broadcast should go jump off a cliff. In fact, we think broadcast is really, really important, but that, but that to be prejudiced in favor of broadcast in the way that the mainstream commercial industry has been for the last 16 years is a dead end. 
you're you're super varying the exciting lead, which is you quit your job. Which is I I quit yeah. my job to do these things. To yes. be able to, to be able to I mean basically I quit so that I I would have more time for podcasting. Which um, you have not, I would point out. Well, it's only I've only been out for six days. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying this is very funny because I feel like scheduling days. this has been the most the most uh, difficult of our previous singing. I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I disagree with you completely <laughs> in that in that uh, we're now we're now setting up a good schedule here. No, sure, but I I would say as a friend of Paul that that. Unemployment has not opened up your schedule dramatically. Well, we're sitting here on a on a Wednesday afternoon at three p.m. drinking, drinking a beer, drinking, yeah. doing a podcast, <laughs> right? Okay. Rather than having Fair. to to to, to get away to the weekend or an evening here. Fair point. Uh, I think you know, and 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 I am only uh, seven business days out. Sure. Right. So you know, we're 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 sort of you know trying to have a soft landing, and and for our listeners, may hear screaming girls in the background. <laughs> we are not torturing children. Uh, but <laughs> that's our other side business. <laughs> it's a snuff film industry. Um, it's really actually we don't like to talk about like, it. Yeah, I we, mean, we're very, very. You don't talk about snuff films. Yeah, that's the I mean, first we're role. pretty famous, and we don't like to brag about our snuff film. <laughs> Snuffy so, fifth, Snuffy <laughs> Smith Films Incorporated. <laughs> our selling out is actually into the yeah. snuff, snuff film industry. Yeah, it's it's we're in this weird place in Chicago right now where it is just unpleasant without being really hot or really chilly it's just kind of humid and will kind of rain a little bit and then the sky will open up on you but it's so i have a window open and a fan on here because we don't actually have central air in the podcastatorium and if i were to close the windows it would get really stifling really stifling so um we put up a little bit of background noise but that's so, some character yeah, so people believe birds. that we were in rogers park chicago enjoy birds and girls in our screaming, screaming. <laughs> our little neighbor upstairs who is uh in the backyard playing with the uh playing with the water hose or something awesome so which causes them to scream in excitement <laughs> but we, we feel it just adds leave. character i may leave in the middle of the podcast to go to run go around, around the water with, with yeah. them yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's fairly enticing i suppose um but yeah so i quit my job so I, because i wanted to have time to do these things and crucially what i wanted to be is basically in charge of my own life that I, it, I've got to this point where having a job, while it has its positives in that you do have a regular paycheck that's fairly dependable, I worked uh, for a major private university. And so, you know, job security was comparatively high. You know, not it's not that people don't ever get laid off or lose jobs at, at, a, at a big private university, but typically you ha- there's a lot of writing on the wall in advance of it whether it's because of budget cuts or because they're eliminating position or because you're screwing up um it's not an all of a sudden kind of thing you usually get a little bit of notice um you know job security at a, at a job that in a lot of ways i liked because i was able to do inter- you know work in areas i think were interesting uh work with with really interesting professors work with really smart students uh, i was an advisor to the college radio station which i loved but was just unfortunately a very tiny piece of my job <laughs> that it, it was difficult for me to do but i found it you know the control over my life was difficult to have um you know just even though it's a 40 hour week job it never was a 40 hour week job for all of that i think in a lot of ways similar to to where you came to yeah so being the boss of your own life other than these actual jobs what are you doing um well i'm moving to portland oregon i don't i don't know if we mentioned that either so i don't think we did yeah so i'm gonna retire 
Retire to Portland, you, you Oregon. You can see that's where young people go to retire. The land there's no jobs. <laughs> the land where there is no jobs. Well, and then isn't that the perfect place to go if I'm going to be surfing? Exactly, if you don't want a job. Yeah, you know, I've lived in Chicago for five years, and I've, I've really loved every minute of it. I, I, I can't say enough nice things about Chicago, quite frankly. Um, the one big part about Chicago I don't like is um, winter. I particularly don't like the winter here. I lived in central Illinois for a long time prior to coming here. And and winter there sucks too. But it ends about a month to a month and a half earlier than it does That's in Chicago. That's interesting. I really I hated winter in Champaign much more than here. It's awful. And well, and in Champaign you get you do get more snow and you get more ice in particular. Definitely. And you and the winds, believe it or not, are worse there than they are here, I think. Yeah, well, because there's nothing to buffet the there's winds. There's nothing that's flat as a board, and there's nothing to stop it. I mean, here, if you're like in between a large amount of buildings, then yes, it is yeah. super, super crazy. Windy. But if you're up in one of the more like residential neighborhoods, it's not as big yeah. of a deal. But here, I find, I found that in Champaign, April was always spring. And here, April has the potential to be spring but more often than not is not spring and 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 also you tended to not it tended to wait until good december till it got nasty i think the last couple of years not, not that weather isn't the most fascinating thing people especially of a city you don't live in yeah. um the most fascinating thing people can talk about but i feel like the last couple of years have been really weird here i mean in general in, yeah. in the whole i mean maybe the whole country but definitely the whole state i think that's true like, but all five years i've been yeah. here winter has sucked and um, what I what I particularly dislike about the winter here, and this would probably count for all of the of the Midwest, just about. So I, it, it's sort of I'm, it's not anti Chicago so much as it's anti Midwest. It's those howling negative ten days. It's the days when you know the mercury doesn't get above zero. It's the prolonged periods of of just frigid, frigid, frigid temperatures that get me. So um, I'm I'm okay with some winter. But right. it's that it's those the, the really frigid temperatures that I I really start to get to me after a while. Yeah, I feel like snow is great because it means it's not that cold. Yeah, here I yeah. agree. Yeah, I, exactly. And and I'm a year round cyclist, so I was commuting every day. I missed, and this year wasn't even particularly bad, so I only missed a couple days due to weather. Um, and I, of course, rode home in some snow, that was, which one would say was inadvisable to do. And I wasn't really riding so much as pushing. Um, you know, home, but it was still beat trying to wait for the bus or the L. Those I feel days. like the worst day of this winter, I was with your wife and mm-hmm. she had ridden her bike to come hang out with me and could not lock it up because it had frozen yeah. on the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's like, those kind of days. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I'm really ready to be done with that. Um, that. That is a big motivator for me. For my wife, uh, one of the big motivators is to be closer to mountains and the coast. Uh, given that really there's nothing you could charitably call a mountain remotely close to Chicago. No. And while the, the lakeshore is great. It is excellent. And we, and I, we live relatively close to it. And I, and when I worked, um, my, my office was only about 300 yards from the lakeshore, though with no windows. So I could easily forget that it was there. Um, it's not quite the same as the sea. No, it is not. Or but the I ability do like to get like... seafood and things like that. So, it's those two things, uh, sort of a desire for change, and it was, and it, we sort of decided that if we were quitting our jobs and kind of trying something new, we might as well like make it a big, a big life change. Uh, my wife went to college, as did you, in, yes. in Portland, Oregon, at, at Reed College, and her sister now lives there, 
and she's got a cousin who lives there and we we actually have a lot of friends there so it's also a place we can go where we're not just jumping into a scene where we don't know anybody because we're definitely learning moving up to chicago after living in champaign urbana for so long um it was nice that we had in a lot of ways uh sort of acquaintances like (laughs) you were an acquaintance who we got to know better. Yes, definitely. But, but yet to be able to plug in with folks uh, that that even if we had not known well in Champaign-Urbana, we knew, um, and not have to sort of completely rebuild a social scene, it kind of makes makes a difference. And I think it's a similar sort of thing in, in Portland. And, you know, we've been to Portland about every 18 months, you know, give or take, on average. So it's like we, we go there with enough frequency that we feel very fairly comfortable in the city and, and kind of know what it has to offer. Even as though, even though it is uh, caricatured as a hipster haven and et cetera. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I I moved out of Portland in 2004, 2005, something like that. And so it is funny now to see it, um, you know, depicted in the ways it is where it's kind of like, I, I don't, I mean... I guess it's funny to me that it's taken a long time for people, maybe because everywhere was like that mm-hmm. at that time. I don't know. I don't. It's just funny to me that the reaction now about Portland is what it is when it's like, yes, that's what it's been like for for the last fifteen years. Like, well, I think though, even thinking of going back to in the last six seven years, the there's a there's an even greater critical mass. I think oh, that's, definitely. That's that. Yeah, no, and I, that that's probably what what it's a marker of more than anything else. Sure. I remember when I moved to Champaign, someone who I met, more than one person has told me this, but it was like I had just moved from Portland. And someone said, "Oh, you know, where are you from?" blah blah, and I explained. And she said, "Oh, I've always I've I've always been trying to move there." And I remember thinking, "Well, it's not that hard. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not far away. I mean, it's far, but it's, you know, doable. You can fly there." Yeah, but um, it's very difficult place I think to to move to if you want a job to move you there. Definitely true. That's not mean, possible. I suspect I suspect actually if you are somebody who is a really good web programmer or a really good designer because there's a lot of um and I mean this industrial designer because there's a lot of industrial design yeah. shops there. Yeah, if you're like some sort of fabric engineer, which is like someone I know who works there, if yeah. you work at something that Intel might be Intel meeting. or Adidas has a design shop. Nike. Yeah, I think they have Autodesk enough designers design there. Shop. Honestly, uh, like I feel like uh, you know, and then there's a big ad agency as well. But like those. But yeah, I mean a, more like industrial exactly. design. Exactly. If you're like a non-creative design. only type. Yeah. You could probably get a job and, there. Yeah, but otherwise, I think you pretty much have to be on the ground. Yes. And, and and I don't think it's it, it, part of it is that I don't think it's a. Um, it's also kind of bias. But what I've learned, you know, in my own career is that until you reach a certain level of seniority or, or a position in a kind of industry, um, folks aren't really interested in moving you more than a few hundred miles. Well, and I feel like why bother looking elsewhere if you already have people who Talent. are local? In your backyard. Yeah, well, yeah. And that makes sense. sense everywhere. Yeah. And I think that's that's actually true. And then when you look at, say, Portland, you realize, well, the backyard is really just the backyard because it's not... It's not near other major cities except really Seattle, and even that's you know half sure, day drive away. Sure, but I feel like away. lots and lots of people are always dying to move to Portland, especially people yeah. in Seattle. So sure. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people who are you know for any job, there's going to be way more people applying than any exactly. other job. Exactly. Yeah, and they're, and they're going to be more likely to 
to to go with someone in local, which which yeah. makes sense. I mean, it just it's a risk to hire someone from far away unless there's some other mitigating factor that makes it more attractive. So I know you gave a lot of notice for your mm-hmm. quitting. Ten and, weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And um, I I think you had some interesting reactions that you wanted to talk about. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, interesting rea- all across the board because I and think I, I mean, I guess from my memory, a lot of people were, you know, I wish I could do that. That was yeah, really that bad. was really it. A lot of folks definitely said, yeah, you know, I'm jealous. I wish I could do that, you know, and a lot of times I said, well, I mean, you you can, although I understand, I, I understand why it's not easy. I understand yeah, why it's, it's a hard decision to make. it's hard to not be a jerk and be like, you can. No. Like, not, I get I, why you don't want to. That's fine. But you can. Right. I mean, and part of it, though, is, you know, I mean, I, I did think about it going into it. I, you know, we set aside money for, say, Cobra, which is the, uh, so I would have health insurance in the interim while I find private insurance and before Obamacare comes in, it comes in fuller strength. And, and Oregon is a state that's going to do Obamacare reasonably well, as is Illinois. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and think about all those things, you know, and, and, you know, planning and, and, you know, I'm, I'm gave up and I have a little bit of income coming in, but not a lot. My wife has a lot more income because she was already two thirds self-employed. So I also understand I'm, I'm lucky because I, I'm with somebody who's willing to, uh, to help, you know, keep the financial ship afloat while I spool up in other activities. Not everybody has that sort of, uh, has that sort of, um, help, but we also, Part of what I did, you know, was sock a lot of money away. Yeah. <laughs> and antici- I mean, you know, before even we made the plan, but in, t- in anticipation so that, you know, we wouldn't be dependent. And that's sort of the whole deal is so not to be dependent. Well, and I do think that's hard, not only one to do, but to conceive of the idea that, um, you know, before you're at the point where you're like, fuck this job, mm-hmm. you're already like, hey, maybe I should put some money away because I'm going to want to quit this job and do nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it is a, I mean, it's funny. I think for most people who are in, who are in jobs they don't really love, or, you know, even if you love most of your job, there's always going to be things you don't love. I think it's hard to think of the idea of being in a job that you like and still uh, quitting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was really deciding on this is a level of consumption for all intents and purposes that we are comfortable with. And really making a, cons- a concerted effort not to expand our consumption as our means increased. Which also I'd point out that it's not that does not mean you're like living Aesthetic. on bread and water. Yeah, no, because no. like we went to like maybe a hundred dollar meal the other night. Yes, we went to, we went to the girl and the goat, uh, which is one of the hottest uh, hardest reservations to get in Chicago. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm not bragging; I'm just saying that yes. Like, you know, it was a matter of ma- but making certain decisions. But, you know, I, it doesn't have to be a scenario where, you know, like you're you live aesthetically. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, I mean, we don't have a car that right. saves us thousands of dollars a year, for instance. They say 8000 annually. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That jives with probably what, what you That's know, the average or something with with what was going out the door and probably a little less because we were less car dependent than a lot of people. So we probably saved less than that. But, you know, just picking up on other things and, and you know. In terms of, you know, rental, you know, your apartment and all sorts of other expenses and, you know, paying attention to it. Because it's really easy to, to, I think, expand your your money going out in ways that are fairly unconscious. Um, 
that especially when you're working especially if if you have like a dual income household right where, like oh, i'm just gonna get a coffee like, like i'm just not... gonna go get a coffee i'm just gonna oh i'm just gonna you know when you're you can spend easily spend ten dollars a day on lunch um in most places now you know if you're not getting some really shitty fast food um and you can find out that you're actually putting out twenty dollars a day in sort of these little expenses and, and right. you count it up and i'm not if that's what makes you happy i go for it yeah i mean like i like though i am also unemployed i do like eating out so yeah, me that too. is where i put most of you know my like casual funds or go there but, but I like i plan for that you know what i mean i feel that's like it. that's a, yeah, and, and it's fine i mean i think there's there's like different levels you can do in the same way i think like it's similar to camping like i think people think when you say, "Oh, I'm I'm going to be unemployed and I'm not, I'm going to save money," they think you're like never leaving the house. And like you, when you say, "I'm going camping," to a lot of people that means like I'm going to the desert and I'm going right. to only have a tent. But like to some people, that means I'm in a full on fancy cabin. Right, that I'm has, a KOA. Like, yeah, so, I mean, right. And like yeah. you can do like there's very, very so many like iterations. But I guess so. What did what did did you use anything to figure that out, or did you just look at your statements, or how did you guys do that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that part of it was just gut. Like certainly, it was the it didn't. I mean, I didn't have to do a lot of back of the envelope figuring to say, gee, I would prefer to bring my lunch, you know, what make my coffee, etc. Th- those kind of decisions those were I really think are, easy. You know, the but no, easy... we sat down and looked at a spreadsheet, you know, and just used I think uh, like a built-in budget analyzer and numbers. You know, and so that's Excel for all intents and purposes. Right. And just looked at what's our, what's coming in. You know, what what does it look like? What's the next coming year look like? How much, you know, and what can we afford to put away? And when we looked at it, we're like, okay, we can afford to put this much away. And then I, we also said, okay, well, here we'll use one of these online savings accounts, a slightly better interest rate. And then uh, we're going to take, you know, some percentage of that and we're going to put it into, uh, you know, low uh, into mutual funds. <laughs> you know, in a variety of sorts, so we can earn better than uh, the market uh, savings rates, but with but relatively low risk, um, so that we also get some interest on that money. I mean, simple things. I mean, really, in, but really taking the money off the top, which is what I've done, you know, for a long time, and doing our best to live on the rest. And sure. in particular, you know, I mean, I've had credit card debt in the past. I've I've had I've had. Uh, credit ba- credit card balances in the past and you know we got out of debt and didn't get back into it which meant you know spending what we have not spending what we don't have and trying to also spend less than we have and i mean you can do it, it you know and i understand why it doesn't happen for a lot of people I well really and i mean it. i i'm i don't make budgets i like i can't do that like it's not something so i mean i think i asked you because i think it is something that most people not most people maybe but like Lots of people, it's very daunting to look at those numbers. Yeah, we made a very, it's like very minimalist confusing. budget. Yeah, so, I mean, or even, like, how do, how do you even start gauging that budget is sort of, I think, a thing that a lot of people have an issue with. I, I, I use Mint, and I really like that. Yeah, uh, uh, Ellen uses I use it a little bit. I mean, we, 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 we were really minimalist. I mean, we really right. sat down and said, how much comes in, right? And then we could look at how much it seems to go out. We looked at one month of, say, like, of, like, receipts, just to see what right. is what goes well, out. Well, I know, food. like Mint sort of does that, does that for automatically. You. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, even if you're thinking of doing this, in the, or not the yeah. doing thinking of doing this in the in the meantime, if you put all your accounts in Mint, um, it sort of like tells you like, well, usually you spend twenty five dollars a month on fast food, right, and yeah. like when, you can have it alert you when you're go you're near that amount, mm-hmm. and then so even when you do want to think about scaling back, you can be like, okay, usually I spend this much, maybe I should spend a little less than that. Yeah, and I think I mean automating as much as you can, like taking money off the top, 
you know, provided that you know what your what your if you know what your basic life expenses can be, right? And and so we're talking about and making I think, sure you're not overdrawing, right? Because yeah. well, I think everybody can know that. I think yeah. those are things you can know. So it, so you know, maybe not tracking every dollar you spent on a beer or a coffee, right? That, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in a given month, how many groceries do you have to buy? In a given month, what's your rent? In a given month, what's your gas, electric, cable, etc.? The movable stuff. The stuff, right. And that, that and those things tend to stay pretty static. Like you tend to spend about the same on insurance every month. You tend to spend about the same in gas every month. You tend to spend about the same on rent. So you know that. And you can establish a really good baseline. And then you, once you know that, then you know what's the buffer between how much comes in and how much has to go out. And then you, I mean, literally you just pick a number. Right. And if you, if, if one month that's not enough, you, you move the number and you sit there and go, okay, I have this much coming in. Let's say that there's a buffer of $2,500 a month. And you look at that and say, okay, at $2,500 a month that I go through because maybe I spend it on eating out. Maybe I spend it on clothes. Maybe I spend it on, you know, whatever. Cocaine. And that's fine. Yeah. Coke. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to try. I mean, hypothetically, hypothetically. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then and what you just say is, so, okay, I'm going to try next month. I'm going to put away $500 off the top. And we'll see how I feel at the end of the month. And if you go to the end of the month and you're like, oh, I really had no problem spending $500 less. Now, you know, you can save $500 a month or $250 or whatever that number is. You start at $100. You start at $50. And, and, and it doesn't require – because, I again, I think I agree. If it's one of these things where you have to count every nickel and every dime, if you have to count every coffee you get at Starbucks or whatever, every beer you have out, you're, you're probably not going to do it, right? Most people aren't going to do gonna it. And you're going to be an annoying person. And you're going to be an annoying person. <laughs> but instead, if you sort of take money off the top and you know you have this much that month, and if you're somebody who has difficulty with credit cards, don't use a credit card. Take it out in cash and use it till it's gone. I mean, and at all points, you're going to have to have a little bit of self-control and discipline. But I think the more that you make it less about self-control and discipline, the more successful you'll be, you know? Well, it's partially about knowing yourself, mm-hmm. I think. And I, I mean, for me, I would, ha- if I have something in cash like that, cash is like ephemeral right. to me. Yeah, like, and plenty of people that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I put everything on a card so I can track it, mm-hmm. you know, so I can be like, and, and. And that you can makes have it sound like I'm spending you. a lot of time, but I'm not. Like here, like if I'm waiting in line, I'll look at like Mint and I'll like fix what categories things are in and be like, oh, okay, I spent a lot. Like I bought all of my like plane flights for the entire summer this month, so I'm sure my travel budget's going to be mm-hmm. like crazy, you know. And that's why another reason for me, those like monthly budgets make no sense to me because I mean, for for me personally, just because yeah. it's like, oh, well, I might spend one month where I buy hotels for like. Mm-hmm. five different experiences that i'm going to be half co- compensated for so it right. looks like really bad but in <clears throat> fact it's going to be fine well and we try to uh, predict those for the, yeah. for the year for the yeah. best of our ability right it just makes yeah. one month like you're spending exactly. way more stuff or like you know this is the beginning of summer so i bought some summer clothes but right. i probably won't buy any clothes again till like maybe winter you know things like that where it's like oh there's a weird spike this month why um and and i don't know i mean here i know we have both ING and State Farm have cafes. Um, they're like coffee shops. Hmm. And both of them provide uh, free financial assistance, hmm. budgeting, um, classes about budgeting. And I, I know that ING does it in other cities. I'm not sure about State Farm. I mean, State Farm is relatively local. They're yeah, based in, in Bloomington. Bloomington. Yeah. Um, but ING is not. So, I mean, that is another thing. Like, I, I really always wanted to go to a financial advisor, but I was like, oh, how expensive is that going to be? Or like, can I even go? Like, I don't, I don't know what I spend in a month. You know, I don't have any sort of um, experience 
making those numbers or, you know, and that just seems really difficult to me. And I, I imagine, I mean, I, I didn't end up doing it because I, I, I got a free version in this, but um, in these places. So you, you could check that. But I mean, I think a lot of a lot more places are sort of doing that, you know, somewhere where you go as your bank or somewhere where you go as your insurance provider are, are, are looking into helping people with financial advice. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I have just through my old job, I have a uh, um, a 401k at um, Vanguard, and I guess they do the same thing. Yeah, Vanguard's really great. That's where I put my yeah. mutual funds. So, I mean, those are those are things where it's like, even, you know, that one's especially anonymous because you're over a phone. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like you, like, I just felt really embarrassed about it. Like, I don't really have, I don't, I didn't feel like I have enough money where I can, like, talk to a financial advisor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like something that only rich people do yeah. or something but rich people do it because they're good at like doing things with money <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing and i think even a lot of credit unions will do it i mean i think there's actually a lot of places you can go um yeah and and, and i i have to say i'm not an expert and i would say that you know 10 years ago i didn't want to think about my money i didn't want to budget i didn't and, and we barely budget now all we've done is all we did for long for, for those months is figure out how much could go into savings that was really it. Like how much will go into savings and when, and how do we divvy up that savings between investments and plain old savings? That was really the only decisions being made, making sure, can we live on this amount of money? And we, and we could, right. And, you know, and then we'd kind of look forward and say, okay, well next month we're going to take this trip. So this month maybe we'll take it easy on some kind of eating out or something. And, and yeah, I mean, ultimately the thing though, that and I understand why people don't want to do it because I've been there myself. Is ultimately, you know, you have to look at it and go, well, I only have X amount of money, and it's sort of panic-inducing. Like, yes, when you see, like, oh, I spent two thousand dollars this month on nothing. Yeah, like that is like something no one wants to admit. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I feel like, and it isn't nothing, but like when you look at it, you're like, oh, like if you said to me, would you spend two thousand dollars on X Y Z? I'd be like, no, of course not. But like you know, people do that every month, including ourselves, sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, and so I mean, I feel like that's really hard to look at, and and just I felt really powerless and like unintelligent about the whole thing. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one wants to deal with something that's boring, you feel dumb about, and makes you feel bad for spending money. Like, that is not, that is like the crossroads yeah. of, of everything that's terrible. And I don't think anyone should feel bad. And, and then the other, the flip side to it, and again, this isn't, this isn't anything that I made up or came up with, but, you know, the other side of it is you can make more money, <laughs> right? And so it doesn't, it has never hurt that, you know, my wife has been able to take on other contracts at times, right? That I've taken on additional writing assignments, which pay. And, you know, you say, okay, well, maybe that, that piece got you $300, but that's still $300 you didn't have. Right. And if that's totally gravy, you know, and I think that part of that is looking at what is your, what is your time? And are, are you somebody who, instead of saying, well, I'd rather make an extra $300 than cutting back $300 that month? Well, maybe you can find a way to do that. And, and, and you know, and think about what, what, what are the things you're good at? What could you do for somebody else that could make you a little extra money and could you do it because i think that that's a very reasonable way of doing it as well and i think now that i am or we are both unemployed it's a little easier because people are like oh you're unemployed do you need this extra side gig but um but like when you are employed i think even just getting the word out is helpful because i mean i wouldn't suggest something to someone if i knew they had a job that they were really into and they didn't you know i wouldn't think of them immediately uh so i mean if you like let people know i think you know, it's a lot easier. And I, I have a lot of colleagues, you know, over the years who work in IT who, all, I mean, in IT in a lot of ways, anyone who knows something has a side gig. And, uh, 
you know what you know either doing desktop support and all the time people would say oh do you do you, you know would say to me oh would you you know come look at my computer for me and i don't really like doing it so even though someone's going to pay me i say no but if you're good at that right there's always a demand for that there's always a demand for web design all sorts of other things if you're good at that and i realize that's it but you know and you can, and when it's on the side you can choose and say okay well i'll do a couple jobs this month but i won't do them next month because i want to have the extra 3 400 bucks this month but i don't care about next month right or something that have ev- evict the cat yeah the cat just just uh, in. yeah um yeah or even for me i mean i feel like recently this has come about where um a f- you know i have a friend of a friend who's a contact at a certain business and they sort of don't have enough work to hire someone to do something, but they'd like someone to just sort of consult with every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, hey, we could give you a space in our office. And there's no, like, requirement to be here all the time. But if we could, you know, ask you a few things every once in a while. And it's like, well, paying for an office space, especially down, it was it's in the loop. Yeah. Would be ridiculous. Like, I, I would not be able to afford that. Mm-hmm. But that sort of thing, like. That's pretty ideal, you know, and it wouldn't have happened had I not been unemployed or had I not told people like, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah and I think that that's that's the other side. I mean, you know, there are ways, you know, even, you know, even in this economy, which I'm really fucking sick of hearing. I mean, and that's not me trivializing that there are real there's a real unemployment problem and that yes. there's real difficulties and that lots of people are having a hard time. That's not that. But it's like, let's not even try because in this economy. Exactly. It becomes an excuse. Right. It becomes an excuse for why you shouldn't do things. Um, and that, I think, is that it's it's about you need to test that theory before you can say that it's true. Yeah. I mean, it is hard. And I think this is where you eventually want to get to. It is hard to balance the like, I've done enough of the planning and I've done enough of the research to think this is a good or bad idea, um, you know, which as an adult is hard because you're like, isn't there someone I can go to who could give me a right answer on this? But like, no, the answer is no. So, I mean, you do enough research and you're like, well, I, I think I have enough money for this amount of time and I think mm-hmm. we'll be OK. But you never know what's going to happen. But you never know what's going to happen if you have a job. Right. I mean, yeah, so, you, you, you could be laid off. You could get fired. Your company can go out of business. Yeah. Yeah. It's dealing with. With a sense of doubt, if you will. It's dealing yeah. with uncertainty and yes. doubt, uh, which uh, brings us to something that I, I put on today. That's a very good, very good segue, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> uh, here for, uh, it was an article I read, just read earlier today, and it's Malcolm Gladwell. So everyone, roll your eyes now. Yes. <laughs> the thing I have to say about Malcolm Gladwell, while he is very good. Celebrity at- I've most frequently seen in okay. real life. Well, there you go. He's hard to miss. Yeah, I would run in, physically run into him frequently. Um, but... What I have to say about him is, I mean, he's a gifted writer and he's a gifted sort of synthesizer. Amazing hair. And his amazing hair. And I think he does bring up things that are interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. and he writes them. I I hate when people are like, well, he writes them in this way that's like not super scientific or academic. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. He's a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point. Right. He's synthesizing (laughs) things. He's researching and synthesizing for a popular audience. Like things you would not think were interesting are then... I mean, it's the same thing as like... It's the same complaints people have about Freakonomics or about, you know, a lot of those NPR shows. It's like, well, he's actually making things that people should care about interesting to people. So I'm fine with that. And the other part is that it's important to remind oneself that these whatever you know whatever he's writing along with you know any number of other uh journalists of his ilk they're arguments yeah right you they, can decide whether or not they're not them. right you know and and i think you know there's a he provides enough unlike some people who've been sort of tossed overboard in in the intervening years um 
he is he provides enough basis for someone who really cares and wants to double check to actually investigate on his or her own and provide good counter arguments right. like you can actually argue with him because or you know pr- provide a, a decent argument to his uh there are footnotes conjectures that it, it, it's not it's not beyond debate and that really is where it should be is that you know there should be debate it, just the simple fact that it is not 100 percent right doesn't make it 100 percent wrong but anyway that's the long lead up to a piece in the new yorker uh that was published this week on their website which is actually a book review about um, on a biography of Albert Hirschman, who seems awesome. Who seems awesome? I never heard of him super before. Super awesome. Um, and and I guess it, it's actually it's one of these like book reviews. It's several books, um, or two books, um, or three books. It's hard to tell. It's yeah. The time here's what is bad about the article. The timeline of this guy's life is very confusing to me. And and the and the books that he's writing it about are a little confusing. Yeah. So um, I mean, just summary. He's an economist. An economist um, from the uh, who worked in the late 19th century into the mid 20th century. He lived in a, a jillion countries, mm-hmm. um, and like he moved his family a lot, and he hated fascists, and so he fought against them in Spain, and was disillusioned by the communist. Uh, forces and never really spoke of it. Yeah, though. seems to have had a bad time. Had a really bad time and never yeah, spoke seems of it. To have PTSD. But his, um, but right, his, his sort of principal argument, or synthesized by Malcolm Gladwell, is that you know <gasps> barriers and failure, for things failure, the failure of things to go to plan is a wellspring of creativity. You know, and that doubt is often one of your one of your greatest assets. So based on this guy's um, experience in economics, and I mean, I think definitely a large part of the article is about like how he's not a very, this guy is not a very common type of economist. You yes. Know, he, he really loves literature and he writes really flowery and he's not super all about the numbers. He's more about planning and that's what you hire this guy to do. Like if you're doing an infrastructure plan, you hire him to figure out everything. But in his time doing that, historically... He f- sees all these experiences where the plan totally did not work out. The budget was like completely ridiculously different. And had they known the real plan, that never would have happened. Right. And they might not re- ever had done it. And yeah. They opened up with an anecdote for uh, a railroad construction um, that in New England that would have uh, connected Greenfield, Massachusetts to Troy, New York, going through the Hoosack Mountains. Green- Greenfield, Massachusetts, home- hometown of, of Penn Jillette. Oh, well, this there you go. This is the only fact I knew okay. about it before this. So I was like, oh, another thing about Greenfield, Massachusetts. And they had thought it would be pretty easy. Uh, the president of Amherst College, a geologist, uh, thought it was mostly composed of soft rock and telling would be easy. And it turned out <laughs> it was a nightmare. Soft rock's never easy. Right. And it ended up costing 10 times more than what they estimated. Um, but once they're committed and already in it, they they tunnel through, and it ended up giving lots of development to northwestern Massachusetts uh, and in the overall area that never would have happened, and probably you know had they not gone in and then found out it wouldn't go well. Yeah, it's like the only way the factories there could ever have gotten their stuff out mm-hmm. at a competitive rate. Yeah. So it, you know, but it was like a ridiculous price to do it. So I mean, I think. And I, I do, I did like the article, and I, di- I did like the idea that that sort of idea that like, oh, you know, you, I mean, there's another like folksier way to say this is like, you only, 
you only show your stripes when you're, you know, in the trenches or, you know, there's the like, is that an Eleanor Roosevelt quote? That, like know. a woman, you can only, you can only tell, like, it's something about, oh, women are like tea. You can only tell how strong they are when you put them in hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, those sorts of like, I mean, I think that is a general American like idea. Yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, welcome to the halfway point of Jenny and Paul sellout number 20. This is Paul here to remind you that you can always find the freshest episodes at our website, selloutpodcast.com. That's also where you can uh, find our show notes, giving you lots of links to uncover our references, both obvious and obscure. Of course, you can also leave comments there. And while you're, you're using the internets anyway, go ahead and like us on Facebook. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd rate the podcast at iTunes so that other people will know about our audio goodness. And if you have comments uh, that you want to make, I don't know, a little more private, email them to us at selloutpodcast at gmail.com or make them more public and cram them into 140 characters by tweeting us at selloutpodcast. Well, now back to that aforementioned audio goodness. I think people are more scared than they used to be about the plan not going according to plan. Yeah, I agree. And that's been my experience in the professional world has been it, it, it is, you know, by failure not being an option or shall we say course correction not being an option often, then you then you get locked into the most conservative possible path or no path at all. And, you know, often that has reverberations, you know, throughout. And I think that if we think about it in your life, then right. I mean, the thing that I also got out of it is the notion that, that sort of everything is an experiment, right? And so it's sort of embracing that lack of certainty rather than resisting it and attempting to assert control by taking what appears to be the safest path. Because the safest path, again, may not necessarily be the safest right. path. Right. I mean, I think the thing it didn't – and I, I think he probably did this, but mm-hmm. and it didn't really stress this, which was for me, but still have a plan – Mm-hmm. Like, I think right, the idea, yeah. like, it did seem, like, I think a few, that is another criticism I have that article, where it's like, there's this description of he had children and a wife, and he just sort of, like, moved them to Columbia in the middle of a bunch of fighting, mm-hmm. and, like, it was, as and it, it made it sound like he just had no reason to be there, and there was right. just, and I think it sounded like he seemed, you know, like a pretty rational person who made a, a sort of plan, but... um I agree. I, I agree with you completely. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's an argument against plans. In fact, the plan to to create that railroad, uh, we would have said it was a great plan. Right. The thing was that there were factors that you didn't know or weren't certain, and when and in, and when you encountered them, in some ways, it made sense to stay with the plan against the adversity because it ended up well. Or in other cases, it may make sense to abandon, but it's to to take to make those uh, judgments when you encounter them rather than trying to look too far ahead when when you really can't. Well, and for me, there's, I mean, there's the issue because I feel like um, for myself and I know other people, like, 
it's hard to know when you've done enough research, when you've um, made a sturdy enough plan, mm-hmm. like to just go forward with the plan. And I think that is the crippling part for a lot of people. Like you just get stuck in research mode and you're like, yeah, I want to do that. Th-. One day, you know, I've been really trying to move to Portland. You know, it's like, well, OK, but, you know, h- when are you going to have enough um, of a plan to do it? And I, I guess I don't know the answer to that. And I-, I think this is a little bit helpful in that it's like, well, just go go and do it because it wasn't going to work out anyway. <laughs> well, right. I mean, I think that is. I think that part of it is definitely the case that there is no enough, right? And that ultimately it's, I mean, everyone has to make a choice with the understanding that if you never eventually declare for yourself enough, then you won't do it, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's that, you know, if you decide, oh, I want to start my own business and you research and you look into what it would take to incorporate and you look into this, you look into that, you look into that, you look into that, you look into that. But until you decide, oh, I'm actually going to start doing that thing, you're not doing that thing. Right. I mean, I guess, but I mean, I'll reiterate, I guess, when do you know that you have done enough planning or you haven't? Because some people don't do enough planning. I mean, that's realistic. Sure. Yeah. And some people do too much. But like, how do you know... As an as an adult, mm-hmm. if we can call back to a different uh, episode, I mean, like, there is no one to be like, yeah, that sounds like a valid plan. Um, I mean, right. even like when you tell your friends, oh, I'm going to quit my job and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, your friends might be like, hey, that might not seem like a great idea, but they're not. But very few of your friends are going to be like, that's a bad idea. Right? Have you thought about this? You know, like other adults, when you're an adult, don't don't. Well, because they don't always know for yeah, themselves. They don't care. Yeah. And if they seem that certain, then you probably ought to be a little, a little <laughs> suspicious. Um, well, I mean, I mean, a lot of it depends on what you want to do. Because frankly, if you want, there are paths that you can pick that may, may, not, may not be the average path, but for which that are well worn. So let's say, for instance, you want to you want to start a small business, but you decided that you'd like to have a, the hedge of being in a franchise, right? Which can be a great way to start a business. Um, well, the, in most good franchises will write out that path for you. They will say yeah. you have to have X amount of starting capital. You have to, you should expect this amount to get you through this amount of time. And they, in a lot of cases, won't sell you a franchise, especially if it's a good one, unless, you know, you, you demonstrate that you have the resources. I worked for a franchise, um, I mean, in high school and in college called Mailbox, et cetera, which is now the UPS store. But because I was working for a small business owner, I mean, and he actually helped a lot of other franchisees get a franchise. So they would come in and work in our store while they were learning the ropes to get their own store. I I saw the inside of the process and saw how the company did everything, did as much as it could to make, to set up its franchisees for success, which means you needed to spend a little bit more money up front and, you know, have a little more curtailments on what you could do. But with a lot of people helping you to do that thing right but maybe subway doesn't make you do that so yeah i mean like, i don't know yeah right, but i mean so that's yeah. a built-in one which that's is a great built-in one and i think that there's you know i mean i think that there's a lot of things that people there what happens is people are afraid to go actually ask for help yeah. right and so because there there is um there's all sorts of small business associations who are there to help people if it's a business to yeah. help people start business and really help them figure out well what, how is it do i do this you know, and and there are other professional organizations to help people, and in that realm, I mean, I think there actually is a lot of help out there, but it's not the help you're going to get surfing the internet at two a.m. 
Right, you're going to have to... But that's the only time I ever want help. Right, right. It's because it's one of those things where you're going to have to go and talk to somebody. And I, and, I, and I think people often don't want to because what they're afraid is, is they're afraid that, that someone's going to say, well, you just don't know what the hell you're doing and laugh them or out. you should be better at this You already. should be better at this. They're, or they're afraid to hear that they're not ready. Right. Instead yeah. of instead of instead of thinking that they're not ready, but then saying, "Well, all I have to do is research more." They're afraid to go and hear from somebody. Oh, you're not ready. But of course, most of these places, they're not really going to tell you, "No, you're not ready." They're going to say, "Well, you're not ready, and here's what you need to do." Right. I think people want to live in this fantasy land, this which is also a purgatory of the well I can just do this and I can write this plan and I just need to get a little bit more research a little more of this and so it all seems still very possible without having to be measured up against the reality of what really is possible. Yeah, and I, I think it is hard especially if it's not a professional thing to go to someone else and be like it's like essentially admitting like mm-hmm. I'm not good at my job or I'm not good at being an adult or it's like it's like openly admitting that it's all a sham, you but know, and that's the, hard. And I think, no, I mean, sure, but I agree. we all feel that way. But I think it is hard. I mean, it's in the same way where it's like it's hard to tell someone you like them. It's hard to tell. It's hard to expose yourself in any of these ways. And I, I, I think that's probably a lot of the reason why people will just go ahead with like a silly business plan where it's like it's obvious to everyone. And like those businesses always open in everyone's neighborhood where you're like, hmm thought of this right why is there a candy and mail store in my what this is not gonna work because they didn't didn't ask right and and, you know but i'll say uh, you know so i've been writing freelance for uh six years or so now and i stumbled into it i didn't really know what i was doing but um i'm doing it now but the uh, about a month ago i was actually asked by a um a another freelancer (laughs) to give an interview on it on a topic that i research and um and i I know the guy sort of as an acquaintance in the world because we write on similar things. And I said, sure. I said, you know, and when I got him on the phone to answer his question, I said, you know, um, would you mind hanging on? I got some questions for you, actually, if you got a few minutes at the end of the call. He said, sure. And I said, look, you've been doing this for 20-some-plus years, right? And you seem to make a go of it. Um, I'm really curious. Are you willing to give me a couple of pointers? So I'll tell you what I do and how I've been doing it. And, you know, and he was delighted. And, and and I really needed to sit there and say, sure, I've been doing this for six years and I do kind of know what I'm doing. But I also have to admit that I made up a lot of it as I went along and hadn't asked a lot of questions. And now I wanted and I, I got some a veteran person who seemed like a good guy working in a similar to me. Hey, man, <laughs> am yeah. I an idiot? And earlier you just said, like, um, when you were talking to the the people who you tried to interview who were at the top of their game yeah. were the people who were most modest and who were most like why do you want to talk to me what like yeah i feel like i mean it's i forget this all the time too but mm-hmm. it is it is a good reminder that you what you just said is that like people who tend to be who i tend to really respect their work are like hey you know i'm not that great at this you know like can you tell and, me what's you know going on or tell me what you think i should be doing or tell me what you have experienced exactly. um and look at it and look at what they've accomplished as as a measure not of their greatness but a measure of a confluence of factors right it, and and so they're able to also be a little able to be when you're when you have some humility you're also able to be a little objective about it which also means that you're probably willing to help analyze it with somebody else and give somebody else some tips and hints and and be giving of your time and expertise rather than being competitive and protective because i think that's the other part is people fear rejection and that's understandable as well. They don't want to ask somebody for help because they don't want to be told no. Right. 
Right. But I mean, I think that, and on the other hand, I do think there's all these like success stories, especially in America, that are um, someone who didn't really know what they were doing, who yeah. started a business. And now it's like wildly successful. And I do think that that's part of what this article is talking about. The whole like, you know, I had this plan, but it turned out after three months in this business, I realized that was ridiculous. And right. now I learned along the way. Um, so I do think there's it's hard for everyone to balance that. Like when have I done enough research versus when should I just go forward with it? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I, there is no magic formula. And I think partly it's to talk to, you know, talk to other people who are doing what you want to do. And, you know, I mean, it's unlikely that what you want to do is so freaking unique and so out of the blue different <laughs> that you can't find somebody else who's already doing it or has done it. And that I would say is the greatest thing. And if the one person won't talk to you, find somebody else, you know, and, and, you know, probably the more, the more socially connected you are to them, the more likely they are to talk to you. But that's not always true. Some people will, will, will be willing to talk to you out of the blue if it sounds like you're not. And then again, it sounds like you're not asking too much of them, that you're being respectful of their time and respectful of them and not just asking because right. I, I can smell it because I, I definitely had done informational interviews, as they're often called, with other people. They've asked me about things that I've done and I can smell when somebody just wants me to tell them that they can do it and that, you know what I mean, wants me to give yeah. them permission, yeah, if you or, will. Yeah. Or when somebody really has legitimate and not, and not naive, but real questions for me. And I can smell it. And, right. Because, you know, and often I've, I, it hasn't happened too much. So I've definitely had, say, with a student when I sort of say, well, you know, when they want to talk to me about careers in radio and I say, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, whatever, you know. And I say, well, that's, you know, it's a tough road. And they'll go, well, but, but, but aren't I great? And it's sort of like greatness has almost nothing to do right. with it. That, that arguing back at you, like, <laughs> that's oh, the please first don't sign. ever yeah. disagree with someone if you've asked them for help. Like, not you shouldn't disagree with them, but I mean, I feel like I, I have had just recently had this experience where it's like, hey, can you critique this thing I'm doing? And I have sent critique. I mean, they've asked, can yeah. you critique this thing? Right, so yeah. I was like, okay, here it looks great, but here are the things I'm not super jazzed about. And it was like, well, that's because of this and that. It's like, I don't care why don't that's care because why. of that and that. I'm like, as a new person coming to this thing, this is what I see as wrong or weird or confusing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even if you do disagree, even if maybe, you know, you've picked someone as a mentor who apparently is the pettiest, most terrible person in the world accidentally, just, you know, nod your head and be nice. Like, it's fine. I mean, I think if if you really disagree, be like, okay, I guess I don't see it that way. Can you further explain? Like, I mean, that's fine. But I, I do think that that is um, that is like a the the biggest put on the brakes to helping someone. I add that if yeah. someone does that to me, I'm like, we're not talking. Right, again. be expected to hear things. You, I mean, that's it. I mean, and I think people often don't want to hear things they don't want to hear. And it's not personal, generally. I mean, I no, feel like they generally don't know you. The dead person generally <laughs> doesn't care really that yeah, much. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I think it, like go ahead. nobody cares about yeah, you. Yeah, nobody cares about you. Um. <laughs> So don't worry if you embarrass yourself around them because they don't really care anyway and they're not going to remember it. It's fine. Um, they're going to like go hang out with their kid or do something fun. No, they're that much they more like likely to, to remember you if you were an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> People will remember you if you're an asshole. No, I, or I, I just feel like I feel even fairly new to my career. You know, I've only been in it for six or seven years and, and, um, in the last two years, I would say, like, my alma mater has, you know, had people contact me and ask me about stuff. And I don't even feel that, like, into my, you know, that I'm that far progressed. But 
obviously you know in talking to these people it's been helpful sometimes you just need someone who like knows the lingo of that field or knows something about what the easiest way to find your information is and and i think people who are fairly new but a few years more into it than you are especially great resources because you know they're not big enough to not want to talk to people and they like know exactly how you feel they can't Mm -hmm. they've still remember it you know and they've probably just made gigantic mistakes well and and their experience is fresh (laughs) and probably more accurate to the time and context it's sort of if you are a graduate student right let's say you're a phd student probably the worst person to take um, career advice from at this moment is the person who's had 20 tenure for 20 years yeah because they got tenure and they got their job in a completely different environment <laughs> who's going to be able to give you much better advice is that person who is fresh who is freshly tenured or still fighting for tenure it's and us. So has just a drop much out. has just a much better sense <laughs> yeah well whatever silly <laughs> but you know it's that sort of thing and so somebody who is only, who's fresh in their career will be able to give you certain types of advice that somebody who is 25 years in uh, is going to give you not wrong advice, but it's going to be a different perspective. Um, and I think, you know, one of the big ways to answer that question of when do you know enough, like what what's that enough point, is really has a lot to do with taking calculated risk. Like, so if, if, if you want to, like, get into some other job or some other industry, is it something, and, and you say you're already employed, is it something you can do on the side for a while? Right. So if you're saying, well, you know, I'd like to be an independent web designer. Well, can you take some clients on the side and then wait while having your job, while having your job? Um, If you want to, you know, let's say you're a home brewer. Right. And you think, well, maybe could I become a, you know, a professional brewer, get into the brewing industry? Well, is there ways you could get into doing it on the weekends on the side? Is there things you could do? Pick any of these areas and take those risks calculated so that sure, if if it doesn't work out real well, well, you, you know, maybe you gave up nights and weekends or, or gave up vacation days or something, but you didn't have to put it all in. Or if then you get a and little bit of success, then you, you know to go all in. If you don't want to give up vacation days for it, then it's, it's you're then not, you probably don't want to yeah, do it. Yeah, you don't want to do it. So don't I mean, worry that, about I it. I mean, that's a great, and I think that's <laughs> it. I mean, the test to me is about how badly do you want to do it? You know, do you want it handed to you? And, and then if, if you do, then you then you that means you don't want to take any risk and risk and reward are often correlated. They're no, all not always. And so you need to find a place to do it with the least amount of risk. Well, and I mean, this article does go I mean, in the very beginning, it doesn't really come back to this, but it, it talks about how in all of these projects, anxiety is what brought about the the creativity. And yeah. I know uh, not, that's not. I feel like that's not true for everyone. No, it's definitely not, I, and it does, it's not true for me either. Um, but and I maybe it's overstating it as anxiety. But the idea that you're like, oh, I'm really worried about doing a thing. I'm I should get something out or a deadline. Mm-hmm. I think maybe yeah. is maybe a better way of putting that. Like, if you know you have to like get some clients because you're not going to eat unless you get some clients. Like maybe you'll you'll get some clients. Well, you right. know, I do think there's part of that is putting yourself. I mean, putting yourself in a position of of less security or, or something because security security of a sort because I, I do i do think that security is more of a mindset than a reality i think that there's you know that some people are very security seeking and i understand that but i also see how being security seeking is often antithetical to living a life that you're happiest with because it makes you risk averse and makes you stay in jobs you hate stay right. with 
partners you hate, stay in places you hate and whatever because you know it and you understand it and right. you think you think you've you're making trade-offs that you're comfortable with because the other side of the street looks scarier. But I do think that often that security is false, right? In yes. that your job can go away, your company can go can can go under. Um, your job may go away because what you do becomes less in demand and you haven't updated your skills, et cetera. You know, your your partner, your lover, your wife, whoever can leave you. Right. I mean, right. And, and you can do all sorts of things to help mitigate those possibilities. But the fact is you can't eliminate those possibilities. Well, and a lot of the people who I've talked to who are like, oh, I really wish I could do that. Um we're saying that, and when I talk, when I press them on that, was like, oh, well, why do you think you can't? You know, um, they'd say, well, it's in my field, it's really hard to get another job. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, that is like already a bunch of assumptions, and I don't yeah, really know I how agree. to answer that. But like, uh, one is the thing you're leaving your job for awesome enough? Then who cares? Exactly. Two, uh, who says you're going back to this job that you already don't like? Like, I think that's the thing for me. It's like. Um, I know so many, and I get this because I've been in a job I hate where like all of your time seems sucked up by that job. But like, I do not understand how, why we can't as people like during that terrible time, and I'm including myself, figure out like, oh, like, let's actually just make a plan to like Mm -hmm. get into a better situation than this instead of like, let's get so sad at this job that like, Apparently, I just crash and burn. Yeah, I, and, and luckily, I mean, and this is this is luck, mm-hmm. right? I have a low tolerance for unhappiness personally. Like, I have this like when I reach a certain point of like I don't like my circumstances, that becomes in great great motivation for change for me. And 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 I'm not saying that this is a virtue. I'm just saying that it happens to work out for me in a lot of cases. It doesn't always work out immediately or quickly. <laughs> it sometimes takes years, but it tends to be a, a fire for me. Like I, I'm not, I, so I, if I reach a certain point where I'm, I'm feeling unhappy and down more than probably X number of days, not even weeks, I'm going to be like, this has got to fucking change. Yeah. Something's got to <laughs> fucking change. And sometimes what fucking changes is minor. Sometimes what changes is just my attitude. Right. But that tends to be for me. Um, and I know not everyone's this way and I'm not saying it's the way people need to be. I just know that that's kind of what happens for me. And I, and I know other people like that as well, because I also felt like, and I, and I said this to people in my, in the position I just left, I said, somebody else is going to be, can take this position and it will be satisfying and happy. And the things that I found to be enormously challenging, they're going to look at those and go, Oh no, there's an easy solution. And they're going to do it. They're going to look at things that I really didn't like doing and go, oh, I'm going to systematize this and I'm going to turn, I'm going to take something that was difficult for, for Paul and make it something relatively simple for me. That person is out there, right? It's, but on the other side, like, who, you know, I guess that's great for the company, like, I, or, you know, organization. I don't really care who takes up my position, honestly. Um, But what's my way of looking at it and saying that, the, the You're not struggles, a special snowflake, right? That these struggles are individual, right? <laughs> right. That that are and and that they are about us, you know, and about our predilections, what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy, and it's not about saying, oh, this that, that it's undoable or and, and it's a horrible place, it's a horrible job, etc. Dot dot dot. It is. Everyone has a different path, and somebody will, you know, when I arrived there, I saw things, and I said, well, I don't know why we do it this way. It would be so much easier if we did it this way, and I changed a bunch of stuff, right? And it made my life a lot easier. And I'm like, why didn't my predecessor do it this way? Right. And it's easy for me to say that. 
And it might have been a lot harder for my predecessor to say that. And it, sure, it just yeah. makes him a different person. I guess I guess the thing is, though, if you're a person who thinks that if you quit your job and do something, there's going to be no job you can come back to. Or there's... Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that might be realistic in certain, I don't know, certain fields. But um, I guess I don't know how to counteract that with, with a, an easy way. I mean, I guess... Well, there is no easy way. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There is no easy way. What it is, is is figuring out the more that we, I think, the more that we fit ourselves into existing categories, then the more likely that's true. The more that we see ourselves as, I'm an academic technologist. Right. Or I, I, I'm an academic video guy or whatever. Then the more likely then that it will be difficult for me to find that position because I'm trying to fit myself into an existing slot. And those are going to change and morph as time goes on. The more you say, this is what I like to do, these sorts of things, this sort of stuff, the more likely you're going to well, have that Well, and job. I do think that most of the people I've heard say that are are saying that because they're not things that they like to do at all. Yeah. Like, nothing they do as a job. But, I mean, it's reasonable. I would like to be an Olympic figure skater. Well, that's that's a job sure. that is only for a certain number of people, and I'm probably not... I don't actually want to do that. Don't feel no, bad. No, but I that. understand, yeah. But there are jobs that are specific where it's like, if you take... I mean... There, the, you know, if you're 20 and you take a few years off, well, now you're too old to Olympic figure, figure skate, maybe. Right. You know, so I mean, I think there are jobs where that is reasonable. Um, but uh, but most people are are multifaceted, and they're more they are more than what their job is, and they're more than what their hobbies are. But what if your job or hobby is something that is really unattainable? I mean, I, then then I mean. It's. It, I don't know if we want to say unattainable, but difficult to obtain. Yeah, like there are only a limited number of rock stars. Well, if you want to be a then, rock star, then that's going to be hard. Then you need to be a rock star. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have to think. I mean, we have to think about that, right? We have to. We, we have to. We have to interrogate that notion. And what I mean is, so you're sitting there and saying, "I want to be a rock star." Well, well, you need. To, you can't just say, "I want to be a rock star." I think you have to say, "Do are are you happy being Rick Springfield or Guns N' Roses? Do you want to be Kesha, or would, <laughs> or, 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 or would or would you be happy being Jonathan Colton?" Interrogate that idea right. and interrogate what it really means, because I think when when we when we package it again into something pre-existing, right? So when you say, "Okay, I want to be an Olympic class." figure skater sure very few people need to do it and so if you want to do that you're gonna to have to work really fucking hard yeah but you might be able to say i can make my living as a figure skater because that means something different it could right. mean ice capades right right i Which mean is actually i think what olympic figure skaters do in their off time but then there's all these ice capades that are second and third tier right i mean yeah. it's the same thing you'd say well i want to play basketball for a living and that can mean be the nba or it could mean in kazakhstan it could mean in kazakhstan <laughs> right and or it could mean being a basketball instructor or basketball coach. It could mean learning tricks and being on third string globe trotters. I mean, I'm 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 interrogating that to say, okay, what we do too often is that we conflate a level of acknowledged achievement with the thing itself, as opposed to saying, well, what's the thing itself? It's the same thing as saying, oh, I'd like to make my life my living as a musician. And someone could say, well get really good at reading charts and you could probably make really good money as a studio musician. Sure, but there are... No, but I want to do it playing my own music. Well, that's a different thing. And a different episode. Um, but right, there's, but I, you know, there's also... But I mean, I do think that it is legitimate, and I'm going to press you on this, because I think that it is legitimate that I do know people who have certain careers that it is, like, dependent on other people. It's not all their plan. Like, screenwriters or, you know, it's like, 
in in addition to you, you know, you well, it's can't always dependent on other people. Sure, because of if course, what you but... do isn't valued by somebody else, no one's going to give you money. For sure, it. but like if you're a musician and you want to be like Jonathan Colton, you just get a website and you work on your music every single day from nine or, to five, and you put out music, or you or you record. Um, you learn or you figure out ways to record little bits that you can sell to stock music agencies. Right. Or if you're a screenwriter, okay, sure. Um, I mean, sure, someone else has to like your screenplay, but there's a lot of outlets for screenplays that are beyond. Are not a romantic comedy. Yeah, I mean, not, it's one yeah. thing to say, I want to make Hollywood films. Sure. It's another thing to say, I might be happy writing the screenplays for commercials or corporate videos, or I might be happy writing screenplays for all sorts of other things there's a lot of call for a screenwriter but what happens is we conflate it with the i want to write titanic or i want to write an episode of la uh, uh, of ncis versus no i want to write screenplays because there's a lot of call for that and yes in every one of these places somebody else has there is a gatekeeper there's a gatekeeper for being Jonathan Colton. In fact, there's thousands of yeah, them because sure. they have to buy his freaking songs for him to make his nut. Sure. It's not, you know, and and, and yes, I, I don't argue that there aren't a few careers out there. But I think by percentage, very small number of them where, the, where it is utterly really limited. Um, probably airline pilots are fairly limited. Although if you want to be just a pilot, there's more opportunities. Being air traffic traffic controller is also fairly limited but maybe the skills involved in being an air traffic controller are useful elsewhere and i think that's part of it is seeing it apart from just being a existing slot seems like something that would be well a runway model yes but who someone's got to be in those farm and fleet ads modeling the rustler jeans uh, well, right. That's what they're called. That's what they're, they're called. Ca- someone has to be a catalog model. A hand model. model, perhaps. Somebody is in all of those uh, uh, stock photography. And in the stock photography, they don't only want, you know, waif-thin, 110-pound <laughs> women who are 5'8", right? If that's really what you want to do, there's probably a photographer who wants you for that. Just understand that it's that it's a different lifestyle than being a runway model. Well, and I do wonder at what percentage of this is I want the lifestyle of job X. But that's different yeah. than I want to do that for a living. Um, and, and, it, and, and if you want a particular lifestyle, maybe you, then you need to think about different ways to get there yeah. rather than simply Investment by the career. Investment banking or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I think it's hard for me to remember this too. And I think it's both helpful and terrifying that like, when you do say, you know, I have a job where, you know, I mean, there it is reasonable. Like, lots of people have jobs where if they take two years off, they are going to screw over their career path. And that's that's fine. But, like, I guess in that situation, if you're happy with the goal you're trying to achieve, then you shouldn't wish you could do that, too. I mean, not that you shouldn't wish, but, mm-hmm. like, I guess to realize that you're, with every path choice you make, you are closing a whole bunch of doors. Every, yeah. every choice is, that you say yes is saying no an infinite number of times. Right. And I think that's what people really it's don't think about. It's paralyzing and also, like, really awesome. Well, and, and it should be less paralyzing when you look back and you see how, by not making choices, you also said no an infinite number of times. I closed the door to teenage pregnancy. Yeah. Yay! At which point we bring in uh, the wisdom of Neil Peart. You can choose a ready guide or some celestial voice. Mm -hmm. If you choose not to decide, (laughs) you still have made a choice. Exactly. Yeah, no, I do think that that's true. I think it's like, uh, you know, sitting in your terrible job every day, uh, 
not take not quitting your job and doing something awesome is getting you no closer to the awesome thing you want to do either because you're not you're not doing right. that either. That, so and that's the thing. And and so many I mean the people I've had a lot of respect for that I've met in my life are the people who have made the choice and the compromise, whatever it is, very thoughtfully. So I've known people who sat there and said, I have this job and I have found and I'm happy with it. And I know it's limitations and I know whatever, but uh, it still allows me to go see shows whenever I want to go see shows, eat what I want to eat, do what I want to do. And sure, there's a lot of other things I might like to do, but I'm happy here. And to me, that's great. That's that, To me, that's the, that's the guide. Are you happy? And, and, and not happy like ecstatic, but really feeling like day to day, I'm relatively satisfied with my life. Not that I know that I'll be satisfied one year, five years, ten years from now, but am I satisfied today? And if I'm not satisfied today, well, then that's a sign that maybe there's choices to be made. And that doesn't mean you, you leave your right. job. Because sometimes, I mean, and this can ha- and this does happen, you know, people who have shitty jobs sometimes get better jobs in the job they're in. Sure. Or, I mean, year one of you starting your mailboxes, et cetera, might be sucky, mm-hmm. you know, because you want to be the boss of a mailboxes, et cetera. But you have to go to a, some other mailboxes, et cetera, and work as a regular guy yeah next door but to some pimply like, faced teenage oh, this kid sucks but like next year right. it's gonna be awesome or sometimes you know and, and and look this has happened to me and i and i know people this has happened to you go to your boss you say you know i'm really unhappy with this part of my job sometimes they go oh you're so good at it we never would have known or you were so much better at it than the previous 10 people <laughs> right yeah you know and, and you feel like you're incompetent at it but because it's just the kind of thing that no one's been you know whatever in the circumstances no one's been good at it and sometimes they go well maybe let's see what we can do and i've seen people rewrite their jobs because they're willing to take a little bit of risk in talking to a boss or a colleague to restructure things so it, it doesn't have to be monumental change it doesn't have to be rewriting your life today sometimes it's rewriting your life word by word going okay maybe this year i'm able to accomplish this and next year i'm able to accomplish this but over that course of three years i i i'm in a substantially different place can rewriting your life word by word be our Joel Osteen esque book that we put out? I think there we go. <laughs> you know, did you see? Joel, uh, did you watch the guy uh, cross the? Uh, I know you don't have live television. So the, the guy, the fucking guy who crossed, walked across the uh, Grand oh, Canyon. Oh, I saw a little clip of it. Yeah, I got sucked into that because my I, I came home uh, from I like being that away. I didn't wear an outfit of any sort. No, he just wore, was, he just wore some jeans. Like, shitty, shitty jeans. <laughs> shitty jeans. And I'm like, I wouldn't wear them because I would feel like they were like kind of like boot cut. I feel like they were like I get caught, like Whoa. I would get caught on them. Well, yeah, I mean, and like. Also, shouldn't it's like you're doing a big giant show, dude? Like, shouldn't you have like an outfit? He's got like jeans and a shirt. Yeah, yeah. he just and a hat, whatever. You know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So the guy who who walked uh, tightrope walked across the Grand Canyon with no net or or safety wires. Um, the, he's one of the flying Walendas. Right. And, but Joel Osteen was there. Oh, I didn't see that. Yes, Joel Osteen came to meet with him because he's very much, uh, very, very super Christian and very much, you know. Well, yeah, if everyone in your family dies prematurely from fa- yeah. falling off high wires. So Joel Osteen was there to pray with him ahead of time and to do the family prayer. And, and so they had a mic on him for the entire walk. And the entire time. And he's like, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Christ is Lord. You are my guide. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And it was interesting because I thought, I I give the guy some degree of credit. Compared to a lot of other people, he didn't really, as much as you can't showboat 
when you walked across the Grand Canyon, he did not show yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. He was very, he's very, well, I mean, I guess, again, if that's like your family traditional career yeah. is what is like dying on a high wire, literally, <laughs> all of the Blind Lalendas like basically have died. Um, but I do wire. think rewriting your, your your life one word at a time. I think that I I see that as an Amazon best bestseller. I agree. Just just on title alone. I agree. I think it maybe like a, a royal blue cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a nice minimalist. We'll hire a guy. Bond. We'll hire a, an out of work model. Yes. Who is just like a snappy looking fellow in who looks like he could be a preacher. I mm-hmm. think that's or, who we should put yeah, on the cover. Either that or you you know it's it's a woman on a beach. Uh, oh yeah, with lots of wind. Yeah, it's just not us. With a pad, <laughs> it's with a pad not of paper, you and I. A pad of paper in one hand and a, and a pen, a very nice <laughs> pen. Ah, uh, yes, a yes. moleskina, you know, yeah. a really nice notebook. Right, as like, the wind looking flows free, through, looking, looking free. free as she's rewritten her life. One yes, word at exactly. Time. So, uh, things we like. Things we like. Um, mine is a website because I am all about planning. Actually, um, in my real life. Um, and so I've been planning a lot of road trips recently, and I have complained for years and years about how annoying it is that there's just, like, no software. Like, if you use Google Maps, it's just impossible to use Google Maps for a road trip. Like, it is mm-hmm. is just really painful. And, like, there's no way to f- easily figure out what's near here. You know, like, if you, if you have to stop somewhere, like, sometimes... So back in the day, you know what you did? You looked at a road map, I know. No. You you well, you went to the AAA office. Oh yeah, no, I I've done ever, that. Did you ever get the trip? Yes, where you got where they made where they made you a special customized spiral bound little thing that gave you your trip and everywhere you should stop. Right, except like okay, so I did that when I, my dad and I drove from Chicago to Portland for, yeah. when I moved to college. But it doesn't. It's not like the things on that are like stop at the little america for dinner it's not right. like things it's like stop at the denny's because that's our sponsor you can stop at 17 denny's along the way sure um but i mean i'm looking more into things I that know. are like you know an abandoned building or a large ball of twine or something so um roadtrippers.com okay is very cool and in addition first of all they have some road trips that they have pre-programmed that are good suggestions but then, you know, it'll help you. You can put in all your locations, and then you can choose whether to take highway or back roads, which I really like. I think that's an awesome feature. And then they have a separate, which I thought this was great all by itself, but then they have a separate fe- feature um, where you can click all of these things, and they have them divided by, like, attractions or, ho- you know, places to stay. And so you can choose, like, show me all the bed and breakfast or show me all the, like, offbeat hotels near my thing. So they just show up as different color-coded things. So, you know, maybe you'll take a detour 15 minutes out of your way because it'll let you go by this thing. So it it's it really lets you... And you can specify it to, like, I only like skateboarding things or I only like... Um, we have we have ones for demolition derbies on ours. Like, it's, it's really neat. So, and cool. it has restaurants and every kind of weird thing i think it has some um atlas obscura stuff which i love um i think it'd be really cool even even if you're not doing like a road trip road trip you know like where you're, you're simply driving somewhere else right multi-day so you're not necessarily you're looking to get there efficiently but there are times when you know i mean i've certainly driven across the country or driven across you know many states and you you, you don't only want to stop at the restaurants at the rest stop or at the exits, right? right. You, you know, you don't want to do another Taco Bell or another Denny's. And 
if you know that you only have to go off the road a couple miles, I'm willing to go to that interesting roadside, you know, that exactly. interesting restaurant that's inside the town or somewhere or like that. Or even that weird stuff. Like, I'm hesitant if, you know, we're just like, oh, we'll get a hotel wherever we are. Yeah. Um, I'm hesitant to go with an independent hotel unless I know. So I would right. prefer to go with an independent hotel, but unless I know something about it, I'm sort of like, eh. Yeah. And so this this is really helpful. What do you that- mean, Bedbug Manor? Isn't- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it where you want to stay? <laughs> so, like, it will definitely, like, tell you um, all the things around it. It's 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 super helpful. And they have an, uh, an apps for, for iPhone and Android as well. I'll have to so. check it out for our big drive to Portland. Exactly. Where we won't be taking too many detours because we'll have two elderly cats. But even if you're like, but yeah, I need to eat something. We need to eat something you know? and we'd like to get something nicer than what's uh, available at the Village Inn. Um, no Little America for you. No Little America? I don't know. Are you familiar with no, Little America? Not, not at all. Maybe it's Travel America now? Little America used to be, I think, a chain of like, it was like the only place you could go to in the olden days to get, get your gas and food. Like, oh, so, if you were yeah. driving across the so West. It's like the TA. Yeah, and they have like a penguin mascot, okay. and like yeah. it, my dad was super into it because he was okay. like, back in the day, driving across New Mexico, there was only one thing you could go to. Yeah, yeah, it's changed a lot. Yeah, a little bit since yeah, little the highway bit. system and all that. Um, so mine is a book which I have finished. Oh, congratulations! Because you're unemployed, that's why. Yeah, I finished it when I was still employed. Oh wow! Um, it's Richard Hell's autobiography. Uh, I dreamed I was a very, very clean tramp. You know who Richard Hell is? I do. Okay. So I, I actually saw him speak in Portland back in March at Powell's City of Books, gave a book reading. And, and uh, it, was an, it was an interesting reading because when he showed up, he was definitely wowed at how many people were there. explain who he is anyway. Yeah, Richard Hell uh, is often credited with one of the, being one of the original punks in the U.S. <laughs> um, he was a member of uh, two, you know, seminal punk bands, uh, television and uh and johnny thunder and and the heartbreakers although he was not ever recorded never was never on a released record with either of them he quit before they released their first records um and then had his own band richard hell and the voidoids which he recorded two or three albums with um but it was he along with um tom verlaine who is went on to be the the primary songwriter in television um Went to New York together because um, they had met in prep school, <laughs> of all places, um, and uh, sort of went wanting to be artists, poets, and they had no money, and so they tended to dress in clothes that were falling apart and living in shitty apartments in the Lower East Side, and that sort of caught on in a lot of ways. I mean, they did it self-consciously, and he admits as much that it was self-conscious to, to sort of dress in clothes that were held together with safety pins and whatever. But it was also born of necessity, you know. And uh, it's a really interesting autobiography because he's very explicit about the fact that he's writing this as 62-year-old Richard Hell looking back at the time. And acknowledging that, like, sure, it was an exciting time and there was lots of creativity, but I had no money. Places were shitty. Places were dangerous. Like this, you know, it was not heaven on earth, but for like a 19 year old kid with his head full of ideas, it was great, you know, and then putting it in that sort of context, not so much as I recommend this to anybody, but it was a good time. And I, and well, I enjoyed people it. definitely romanticize that. Well, and I think, it, yeah. And, and so I read a great uh, review of the book after I read it. Um, and the reviewer who I forget his name now, I should we all put it in, who is, I think, a lecturer at NYU in English. He wrote the 33 and a third book about television's album Marquee Moon. So, you know, a fairly knowledgeable authority on 
Richard Hell's life and on, on, on that band. And he put it, he compared it to um, Patti Smith's uh, autobiography, which came out a, about a year prior called Just Kids, which is a much more romantic view of her time when she uh, spent a great deal of time with the photographer and artist Robert Maplethorpe um, that they had uh, uh, met and lived together. Uh, sort of had romantic liaisons, although he ended up being turning out to be gay, but were, were great friends for a good portion of their early um, sort of artistic birthing in the Lower East Side. And compared to her book, while still honest in all the ways, is, is, is romantic. I mean, it really looks back at what a great time and what a great person, what great relationships, etc. And not quite unflinching. Whereas... She could have just had a much better time, though. She might have, except that, you know... I think that through, if you, uh, Richard Held has, has some not flattering things to say about Patty in oh. his book. Although he, he also, he has not flattering things to say about most people, especially himself. Yeah, it sounds like he's not having the greatest time in a lot of situations. It's well, not like, you know. he, ended, he ended up being a pretty, having a really bad heroin habit. And in the in the in the early '80s, after like releasing like his third album, he quit music altogether. He quit heroin and cleaned up, but also sort of said the lifestyles are too intertwined, right? And he decided to become a writer. Because um, those people aren't known for doing yeah, any, well, any for sort him, of drugs, right? For him, it ended up being correct. I think he had a relapse in like the late '80s, early '90s, but for the most part, stayed clean. Yeah, but I think you know, he, he, but he definitely writes it from from the standpoint of like. As a sixty-year-old, sixty-two-year-old person, I know this, and right. I, I can see. Uh, gee, I really thought we were the shit, but in retrospect, I just see we were lucky. And whereas Patty's books reads much more like a grand narrative, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and I enjoyed that book as well. I really enjoyed it. So it's not me criticizing it. It's just sure. they're, they're interesting. I think they should really be read together, read back to back, and give you two very two different viewpoints. And it's not as if hers sounds like we were. Weren't we? Weren't we? Sort of, you know. He says, "I. I think it's great that he uses this this title. I. I dreamed I was a really clean, clean tramp, because I think this is exactly it. That's a fantasy and that's a dream. Whereas her title might be, I was a very clean tramp. That through all of this, sure, we slept in the park and often didn't have enough money to scrounge for a sandwich or whatever. It reads as a very lovely time. Whereas his, you can sort of smell the shit. Right." You know, and they're just, they're two different takes like and two different ways van, of doing it. I think it. is similar to that, where I it's like, re- this sucks. I haven't read it, but I would it's, like... It's very I, much I how guess, much this sucks. I think I should read it, because yeah, no, I think it would be a good it's like, it's like page after page of like, oh, I didn't have anything to eat today. Yeah. And and Richard Hell is, he's he's a good editor in that way. He, you know, he doesn't, you don't have to sit in it too much, whereas Get in the Van is like tour diaries from Henry Rollins. Right. right. Um, from From what would be about 10 years later. Right, but and a lot of it is like some stranger hit me repeatedly yeah, today. Right. I mean, it's a lot more violent. He has a little less of that, of course. It's not a tour diary; it's an autobiography, and it's sure. written, you know, forty years hence, right? But I, I enjoyed it, and and it's it's it, it. I think you know, it's a time period. I'm very fascinated by that time period personally. Um, part because I grew up in New Jersey, you know, as a, as a child in the seventies. But to me, New York was a far off, dangerous, dirty place because I lived in central New Jersey. So we never went there. Like I went there maybe once or twice before the age of like 10 or 11. And so he didn't, I didn't really have much knowledge of it. And we got New York news, but New York news was pretty much like 
these people are being stabbed. Bronx is on fire. I mean, really, that's what, yeah. that's what you know, you didn't hear New York is wonderful. Your experience of it was, sure, there are parts that are wonderful, but it's dirty and dangerous. And this idea of punk, you know, for me, as like a six or seven year old, I was vaguely aware, but it was very distant and unknown. And the only thing I ever knew of was the Ramones. Right, which I which I thought of positively, but that was pretty much all I really knew, and I only came to know of this. Everyone later. loves the Ramones. Yeah, came to know of of the of the greater punk scene later on as a teenager and everything else. Well, and I think especially now in New York, it's very like I'm poor, but I you know yeah. I'm dirty, but it's okay because this is really cool and hip. Right, and then it wasn't. This is really cool and hip. It is. This is really shitty Terrible. and dangerous. Yeah, but there's enough of us willing to put up with it being dangerous. And whatever, and it's still New York. Like we are right. still, you know, because I don't think that could have happened in Lexington. It couldn't have happened, you know, even in Cleveland. And even though to some extent it did happen in Cleveland, because the other thing that 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 meets up there, and which Richard Held gives some acknowledgement to, is it's still a media center. Like you still, and so, and he says, you know, one of the people he really liked meeting at one point was Malcolm McLaren, who is the impresario behind the Sex Pistols. Who said, who told Richard L., I like your style. I like what you're doing before the Sex Pistols had been formed. And it's, Richard L. says, had invited him to, to manage. And he said, well, I didn't want someone else controlling him, but I thought a lot of Mac, Malcolm because I thought he was a smart, keen character who really knew what he was doing. That wasn't going to happen anywhere besides New York. And, and, and so it's that confluence of both, I think, being a time when there was all this possibility because it was dirt cheap and really dangerous, but you were still in one of the the major cities on earth at a media center where if something was going to happen, there was someone to notice it and publicize it where you still had a record industry 35 blocks North, right? That wasn't true of a Cleveland or an Atlanta or even to an extent, a San Francisco in the same way it was true in New York that it, it, and I'm so I'm very interested in this because I also see now we're in this era where people who are in a place that allows you to live cheaply so you can focus on your art if you choose that is much more connected and you can have somebody who is much more starting a scene in a Detroit or an Akron or, you know, some other city if they can find that critical mass. So I'm interested because I think not that I wish I were there because I don't think I would have been someone who would have made it there. I don't think my upbringing was not somebody who was going to go to the Lower East Side and feel like I fit in there or be willing to put up with the, the type of filth. Also, now you would not, you, you would. Well, not the modern. Yeah, I know, I'm saying the, the, the Lower East Side of 1972. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't think that I was constitutionally that person at age 18 who would have made that leap and would have been comfortable doing it. Right. So I can't have that. But what I'm interested in seeing is, 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 is seeing the lessons and understand seeing the history and how it gets us, you know, because the fact is the fact of that punk scene, whether it's a talking heads or Blondie or, or, you know, Patty Smith, who was also, you know, uh, accomplished quite a bit literarily or Richard Hell accomplished things later on literarily, how that scene leads to the world we have now. Right. Is very interesting. To well, me. and I think in especially retrospectively, uh, a lot of people are very, especially people who stayed in New York are very like, oh, people couldn't hack it because we're so badass. Yeah. And it is good. I guess hey, it wasn't is good that to hear, way. I think it is good to hear someone be like, yeah, it's sucky. <laughs> yeah, it was sucky. And then not like I was badass so much as I just didn't care. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and partly he said I didn't care because I was looking for my next fix. That was more, you know, so I was looking for my next fix and I was recording and writing. 
And so that kind of obliterates all those other concerns. And I've, I've read um, some interviews and heard some interviews with him, you know, around the book tour where, you know, people, he still lives in the same apartment he's been in since like the late seventies. I don't know that he owns it. I think it's just rent controlled and he's been able to stay there. Right. And it's really tiny. And, you know, people ask him, well, what do you think of the changes in the neighborhood? And he goes, well, they kind of suit me now because my wife and I like to eat out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, to hear someone sit there and go, he goes, now I can understand why somebody who's like 19 and like I was when I was 19, it's not, not for them. He's like, and he goes, and increasingly, it's, it's probably going to be the case that New York won't even be for me. But he said, sort of like right now, it's okay. And, yeah. and it's that level of sort of brutal self-honesty I really respect. And it doesn't mean that he's a great guy. He may be, maybe he's an asshole, you know, and maybe he, you know, is it nice to, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, in the reading, he seemed to be self-effacing and relatively honest, but not like, not a priest. He was in the Dalai Lama, you know, and, and, and in some cases he's like, yeah, so, you know, I might've treated this person badly, but frankly, I don't remember. And, and you're in the back of your mind because, yeah, because you did a lot of fucking drugs. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so, if you know, and, and he's a little dawdling, you know, he seems like, the years have been hard on him, but like that level of honesty saying like, well, let me, let me, instead of decrying like, oh my God, New York isn't what it, what it used to be. And it's so awful, whatever, sort of acknowledge, well, of course it's not what it used to be because nothing is what it used to be. Well, and because of what I did, it's not what it used to be. Yeah, like, it's right. now for me. He was probably, you know, and I think he would probably acknowledge that he contributed because yeah. he was part of a scene that made it cool or seemed like a place people wanted to go. So, you know, I mean, that's not all embedded in this book, but it, and it's, it's one of these books that as I read it, I felt like, well, he's an okay writer. Like it's, But by the end, I said, well, his writing serves his ideas very well. He's a plain writer, but not an unembellished writer. And he and for a book of its type, he managed to not rest on too many cliches or rest on too many um, uh, habitual devices. So, yeah, it was a good read. But I, I also greatly enjoyed Just Kids, which I would also recommend. And now I need to go read Get in the Van. So yeah, be which the trip is tip. actually there's an audiobook version, which I like a lot. And, and it's probably Rollins read, reading yeah, he it. Reads yeah. it. Um, in, other, in other podcast news, I, I, though you will eventually be moving, we will continue the podcast. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to continue, underline whether, that. Whether it's because I visit here, you visit Portland, or because we use the Skypes. Skypes, internets. Um, and also, um, today I was shown an article that is about, um, that, that I thought would be relevant and I'll link to in the show notes. That's about how, um, it's really much more pleasant to visit Epcot than, than Europe. And that's why I do it every year because it's essentially Europe. Great. (laughs) I look forward to reading it. I cannot wait to see you. I think think that's where we need to, we need to wrap it up here. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul.